Welcome everyone to Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you find listeners. My name is Mike Wint. And I'm Aaron Spears. This episode's challenge is Canadian films, which I think might be our broadest uh, watch yeah. challenge so far, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have to admit after um, settling on this, I felt like it was maybe a little too niche. But uh, I do find myself drawn to to uh, Canadian cinema just because a lot of them are pretty bleak and dark. <laughs> uh, like there, there's a certain style to them. Uh, you know, there there is a lot of horror films, of course, films of David Cronenberg. I oh, think sure. that's probably like most of the exposure for a lot of us who, you know, like started watching films or maybe don't even realize they're Canadian. There is, you know, once you kind of start to watch it, there is like a certain, there's like a group of actors that, that have seemed to, to be in a lot of these films. And, you know, just looking at like the Canadian film boards website in preparation for this episode. Yeah. uh, There's like, there's oftentimes they make these top 10 lists and, you know, they talk about that. Hey, we actually do make, uh, you know, fun and <laughs> uplifting <laughs> films, but there tends to be this kind of odd um, darkness or, sure. or something. You know, like they're not really making super mainstream films, um, and 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 that's that's the thing that I that I liked about kind of digging a little deeper for this episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I was thinking too in the scope of things, you've got like a century's worth of Canadian. Yeah, you know, as well. Like it's it's huge. Oh, I mean, honestly, what it really means is like, well, we'll just have to revisit this topic at some point and have a Canadian films part two. Yes. Um, there, there's one thing, and, and we we kept this very specific to like it has to be you know set in Canada, directed by a Canadian, mm-hmm. uh, ideally starring. Like it was like we wanted a Canadian film, the way you'd explore any country's cinema. Yeah. So like. I'm trying to think of a um, famous like I, Ivan Reitman's Canadian, right? Yeah, Ivan his Reitman. output is very much like Hollywood, like it's United States output. So let's keep right. it with, you know a nation a nation cinema. Let's look at what they're doing. Yeah, like James Cameron is is oh, Canadian really? uh, by by birth, but he's that. probably okay. been in. I mean, he's probably been in um, you know United States for over probably close to 50 years now or right, 40, right. <laughs> 40 ish years, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, even when you, when you look up best director winners, you know, he is listed as the pretty much the one and only Canadian winner of that. Oh, for like Oscars. Yeah. Oh, oh, I got you. Right, right, right. Or like one of my favorites from being a kid and being a back to the future obsessive, like, yeah, but he's not, I mean, I'm sure he was in some like Canadian productions, but, um, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was, I, I like that we were keeping it specifically to like, has to be of the country from the country for the, you know, like that Yeah, gave it sort of, it also opened up an interesting geographic thing. Like I've got a movie from Quebec. I hope I said that right. I've also got one from Calgary and I've got one from Edmonton. And I was like, oh, there's like kind of different flavors. Well, I mean, it's a huge country. Go figure, you know, like there's, yeah. there's regional filmmaking within any given country. Um, I've watched a lot of regional filmmaking from within the United States. Um, and I feel like I have a grasp on that because I kind of know the geography and the culture a little bit better. But it's interesting to get a little window into another country, in this case, Canada, to be like, oh, this film's a little got a little bit of, like you said, a different edge to it. 
then this other one that's from a different area of the country. And then you look on the map and you're like, oh, these are wildly <laughs> different geographies and types of cities even. Too. Absolutely. So it's going to give you kind of a different flavor in general. Yeah. And, and I, um, you know, I'll like um, for any of our potential Canadian listeners, I, I will forgive, uh, please forgive me that I, I did tend to stick to the English language uh, Canadian films. But uh, I mean, there are a lot of great films that come from French uh you know, the French Canadian world. And sure. of course, like, you know, D- Denis Villeneuve, uh, you know, who is of oh, course right. like one of the, probably one of the best directors right now working, um, you know, is definitely from that, from that world. And I, I believe he might've got nominated or one of his films got nominated for, you know, the foreign language Oscar. Oh yeah. Cindy's, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah exactly. But, but yeah, I, I think the one thing that's interesting is that, you know, the United States and um, Canadian film industries have overlapped so much that sometimes it is hard to sometimes uh, pick apart, you know, what makes a film uniquely Canadian. Um, you know, I mean, because a lot of our American film, a lot of our biggest American films shot in Canada, you know, like. Oh, good point. You know, Superman. um, uh, 1978, you know, shot in, in Canada. And, you know, it's, it's like, I, I didn't really, I started to notice it in the, in the nineties when I would start to really look at like the credits of a movie and see like, you know, Toronto or whatever unit, you know, like Montreal unit. And I, there was something a part of me and I don't know why I always felt this way, but I always felt like like this insane jealousy, <laughs> like, or like, why are all these movies shooting there? Like, yeah. like almost, it almost felt like a cheapness or something. Uh, because you know, it, it's like you have the backdrop. It looks just like New York city or it looks mm. just like Chicago or, mm. or Los Angeles. And then you find out that none of it was shot there. <laughs> and I don't know why, I mean, it, it's not like this, unabashed Americanness or something. But, but I, I just, I wonder sometimes about Canadians though. Right. It's like, do they sometimes have this resentment towards American cinema sometimes because they have, they utilize their tax credits so much and, and their locations. And it's never really hinted that it is Canadian, you know? Oh, that's a good question. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, you're like, well, it's if you want to work in the film industry, it's bringing jobs. That's your exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm a glasses half full kind of guy anyway. So like I would I would absolutely <laughs> go absolutely. the route. I know you are, too. So that also I, I find it funny that like you got the seeds of being like the location guy was like already kind of activated. Oh, right. You know, that <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that's that is an interesting point. Actually, my main pick uh, for this particular episode, too, we can kind of talk about that a little bit more because it, it, it's not inherent in the movie well i'll get to that in a minute so yeah sure um but yeah that is kind of an interesting thought where like yeah like you're you're there's all these great film examples of canada visually on screen but like not credited as being like this is canada yeah no there was a while like in my early college years and maybe slightly outside of college where i used to kind of play a game with myself was to predict if it was filmed in Canada <laughs> because like you can start to tell some of the, some of like the uh, actors with like certain speaking roles. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because it's like they're uh, <laughs> now not to say like there's not attractive uh, women up there, but like there's like a certain kind of look, you know, like they just they don't look like Hollywood. You know what I mean? Um, well, it's, like, it's more that like, like Hollywood has a certain look that we've come to expect because we're so steeped in Hollywood. that yes. it doesn't have that look. You're like, wait a minute. Is this camera? Yes. It's, it's like yeah. men and women. Like, there's right. like just like a certain it doesn't look quite Hollywood like. Yeah. Um, like say more authentic even, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, say like a history of violence, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, some of the background actors, it's like, I know it's supposed to be played off as like small town America or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's just like, I knew it right away and I didn't even have to look up. It's like, that is the Canadian actor. I, I can see it, but <laughs> I don't know why it's always like that. Way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> For for the record, I I very much am enamored with Canada for some reason. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I, I I it's honestly it's a, until this episode. I mean, I've I've watched a good number of Canadian films or mm-hmm. like hybrid, even I guess as we could call it. Oftentimes at the the local film festival here, since we live in Cleveland, the Cleveland International yeah. Film Festival, I'll generally see like a Canadian movie a year at least at the festival because yeah, they, you know they have a, a great thriving film industry uh which is actually a point i want to talk to in a second but what grabbed you at first like what it's because it's, it's really it's a national cinema i should have explored it's in a language uh, you know the english portion of it that i i speak although obviously i'm not afraid of subtitles but it's just it's not one that i've really dove into and my watch list grew quite a bit looking at stuff for that I'm like, oh, i need to watch that and like i've never i've only seen a couple of xavier dolan movies and i was like that guy just oh yeah movies I'm like Super. there's a bunch i was like oh i need to get to some of these what 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 initial was there initially one that grabbed you or was it television or both? Well, yeah, the one that really grabbed me was the Sweet Hereafter, which is by Adam McGoyan. Oh, and yeah. that it's a movie that is uh it's very somber and it doesn't really have very many uh recognizable stars, but I mean Bruce Greenwood's in it and uh now he's been in quite a few things, yeah. um, you know, series, whatever, you know, he's yeah. been in a bunch of movies, but um, I think there was something in Sarah Polly obviously is in it. Um, who now, oh, right. um, you know, did uh, women talking and she's done various films, but there was something about that movie that was, it was so sad and like it, it captures that, like that bitter coldness of, of um, where it takes place, which I think is, I think it's Edmonton or something like that. You know, it's like, I could be wrong, but I, and I know it was like probably shot near Toronto cause he's a big Toronto guy, but, uh, but just like um, there was something about it uh, that really drew me in. So that that's what kind of explored my interest in, in other films like that, because it was definitely not like anything else mainstream that, that was coming out. So yeah. I I do tend to like sometimes these character driven dramas that, you know, you know, that doesn't really have a happy ending And it. And that movie, it's just, it's so sad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's so, you know, it, it really strikes a lot of emotions. And I think just the music is very unconventional. It's yeah, just, it's just a really wonderful film. So that's, that kind of kickstarted really it. kind of, got my love of it yeah well it's oftentimes too when i'm watching films from in other countries and sweet hereafter is a good example of that in my you know 
born and raised in in the USA, uh, Hollywood steeped brain. I'm like, oh, that would never get made in Hollywood. That's too right. Bleak, right. It's doing this or it's doing that. And that was, I remember one of those, I've seen it at the art house theater and then talking with friends about it. I was like, man, you, well, cause generally if it's in a different language, you'd be like, would Hollywood ever remake that is like, you know, yeah. it's worth, you know, juggling around like, oh God, yeah, if they did, they would mess up this, mess up this. That one is already in English. So you're like, well, they're not going to remake it, but like that would just never get greenlit. In right. And maybe, maybe at an indie studio, maybe, but you're like, no, it's too bleak. Like, okay, let's start with a bus full of kids are dead. Yeah. <laughs> and let's yeah. Like, uh, yeah, no pass. Um, please, please no. Who's going to want to see this? It's yeah. Bleak. Which actually kind of leads into the other point I wanted to mention because one of my honorable mentions, uh, the I got to interview the director for this year's Cleveland Film Festival. Um, oh, that's great. The, the podcast we do there. And he had just this uh, a side comment he made about how films are funded in Canada. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. We need to do that in this country. I mean, oh my gosh. I'm not trying to yes. get that passed now. But he was talking about how like it gave him the time to like explore a screenplay and like do some rewrites. And also when he was doing short film production, he was trying to push the envelope to see a kind of personally just to see like, well, would they approve that? Would I still get funding from the national film board? You know, or <laughs> not even just the national film board. He said he was even like local arts, um, you know, nonprofits. There's like, it's just, it's an, it's a much more arts friendly culture than we have here as far as financing goes from a nonprofit, not like we don't yeah. have to make money on this short film. And he said, when you're making short films and you have secured funding, not that he's getting millions and millions of dollars to make a short film, but like, He's not scraping it together and then bending to the will of, of funders. They want him to explore the art of film. And so he was really pushing boundaries uh, with some stuff. And I was like, man, that's a great way to get your art form to flourish. Yes. And really kind of experiment. Like, because what, what did he say? It was like short films don't really have a marketplace expectation because what short film makes money for people? Right. And that freed him up to not just make it as a calling card film to like, hey, give me a feature. But he did notice when he would play at Sundance, a couple of film shorts played there that people were always in the state side, not necessarily interested in a short film. They're like, oh, do you have a feature idea? Do you have a feature idea? And he was yeah. like, yeah, I should put together a feature idea, I guess. <laughs> but I thought that was kind of an interesting way to 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 approach it where like there is some national, not that everything gets greenlit up there and you have all this money just passed around, but it's 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 a lot better than it is here as far as incentivizing artists to like go out and create and not cater to the whims of the marketplace. Yeah, there are many um, filmmakers locally, uh, you know, from my day job that mm-hmm. I I would I think they wish that uh, the U.S. funded that, yeah. things like Canada as well. Uh, and you know, frankly, that would be great. I mean, I, I think it would you know probably help cultivate a lot more voices that, yeah. that sometimes yeah. don't have the the ability to do so. As much as we're spending on the military as a country, just like right. a little fraction, man, yeah, just, like, just a, little up a little bit, you wouldn't even miss it. And we'd have all this great <laughs> film art coming out. But uh, well, actually, let me just jump in then, since I was already kind of mentioning yeah. it, my honorable mentions here. Uh, the filmmaker in question, um, Trevor Anderson, he did a movie called Before I Change My Mind, which is contemporary. It was a production date of 2022. Nice. Um, this is the one that is, uh, I. oh man, I hope I have this right. I believe it's set in Alberta, but it was filmed around, I don't know the geography. It was filmed more in the Edmonton area. Yeah. Okay. Edmonton's in Alberta. Right. Okay. Sorry. I I forget my layers here. (laughs) So it's a really interesting film. It's a coming of age story. 
which is um, uh, kind of a theme I've seen in recent contemporary Canadian films, uh, which is a genre I really enjoy. It's a uh, a non-binary teen arrives, although that phrase is never used because this is all set in the 80s. And sure. it's kind of, Mwah, like chef's kiss, like <laughs> soundtrack is like the new kid in school. And it, it goes through and it slowly spreads out to become kind of an ensemble piece, a uh, single dad and this kid. And it slowly branches out to be see like, oh, this kid becomes sort of kind of infatuated or interested in this bully who's just like a horrible person. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable bullying there. But then there's like other friends around. Um, then like there's some uh, circle of girls are involved and it just slowly expands out from, uh, from, you know, kind of a circle of friends here. But it, 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 it's more concerned with keeping the audience sort of in limbo. Like there's no, there's no definitive because like this, this main character arrives and they're like, wait, is it a boy or a girl? Like, and you don't get yeah. an answer. Like, it's not about it's this, like, who are you or what are you question is kind of floated for all of the characters, which I really liked. And it keeps kind of everybody in sort of this uh, kind of limbo state of like, it, it gives you just enough to grab onto all the characters and be really interested. And it's a very smartly written screenplay where you get, you know, smartly written adults that have very different and unique voices and the way the kid characters speak. Yeah. Um, the way that like, you know, um, you know, a coworker speaks or whatever. And it, it's interesting to have a coming of age movie where at the end you're like, and in that summer I learned all these. No, it's, it's not that it's just like <laughs> it happened and it was interesting. And you just want to keep hanging out with these characters. And by the time it was done, I was like, man, I, I kind of wish this was a pilot rather than a film. Cause I just want to yeah. hang out in this world a little bit more. But yeah, before I change my mind, I don't know if it's going to get a theatrical release currently or probably just end up streaming somewhere. But um, yeah, just, just caught it at the festival this year and, I was, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised because I was like, oh, another coming of age movie. <laughs> and I'd already seen like three or four at that point. And I'm like, yeah, but I've heard good things. And we're going to be interviewing the guys who got to watch it. And then I was like, oh my God, like this is, uh, this is exactly what I would have hoped for. Yeah. That was circled on my, uh, on my guide, but I, unfortunately I didn't get to see it or I don't think it was streaming on the streams either, but. No, because I think they were hoping for some like theatrical. Uh, yeah. Release yeah. Yeah. They were trying to limit what was streaming ahead of time, but. Yeah, if you see that one out there, like it's it's a solid one if you're in the mood for an, an 80s, like just soaked in 80s <laughs> coming of yeah. age uh, story. Uh, it's it's really, really solid. And also feature film debut, which like generally, you know, can be kind of hit or miss. And oh, sorry. The other thing he mentioned was they were going to go into production and then COVID hit. Oh, God. And so one of those stories. Right. But he said that the silver lining to that ended up being that they just worked and worked and worked and worked on the script because there was nothing else to do. Yeah. And then by the time they went into actual production, uh, which I think was summer 2021, um, they're like, man, I'm glad we didn't film that original script. <laughs> it's like, Hey, all right. But, uh, all right. What's uh, an honorable mention you've got, Mike? Sure. Um, so the one that I have is from 1993 and, uh, it's called, I love a man in uniform. And in the United States, it was just called, man in uniform. Uh, but uh, this stars one of the uh, actors actually from the suite hereafter. His name's Tom McCamus. Um, he plays Sarah Polly's father in the film. Okay. Um, kind of memorable um, in that role. And then this one, he plays a Travis Bickle type character uh, in which um, he basically, you know, he's like a banker, but he's also trying to be an actor on the side and uh, he gets a he finally gets like his big break where he gets to play a police officer. Well, he really starts to kind of take it to the next level when he 
he starts to patrol the streets as you know in, in like his costume but yeah. like as a police officer and he really kind of gets like he almost embraces this, this new power um, and uh, you know, starts to go on. Sometimes he goes on like kind of psychotic <laughs> little sprees here. Um, it's a really, really interesting movie. Uh, very kind of dark. I think, um, I don't know how actually I found it. This one, it just wasn't something that I really looked up that much, but I just, I happened to see it at a, one of the Hollywood videos or no um, family videos. It was on, it was basically going out of business and mm-hmm. it was there on a shelf. And I just, I was very intrigued by the, the cover uh, art. And um, I did notice the telefilm Canada or uh, telefilm Canada in the back uh, cover. So I was okay. like, okay, let me give this one <laughs> a shot. And it's always just kind of suck out of my mind as a, you know, kind of creepy thriller. Yeah. And, um, you know, th- this could definitely be something like maybe remade for, you know, with a bigger budget or something now in this in the streaming world. But uh, it was definitely, uh, definitely memorable for me. But uh, but uh, a Canada remake, not a Hollywood remake. Oh, it would be Hopefully. probably better as a Canada. What's remake. what I'm saying? Let's keep it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's keep it. Keep in the here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds really interesting. You had me at. um uh travis pickle type character also like that duality of like it feels like there's almost a comment even on maybe like method acting or like oh i gotta i gotta i finally got landed a role as a cop i'm gonna ride along and really immerse myself and you're like yes that's celebrated to a certain extent um from certain actors but when you go to be like oh no i'm actually a cop now (laughs) isn't that sort of what steven seagal ended up doing i think so (laughs) (laughs) sounds like (laughs) yeah that's uh that's pretty intriguing i like that one yeah uh, any other ones for you? Um, I do have one other one. This one, um, actually, I believe I saw this one at the Cleveland International Film Festival back in 2000. It's called Way Downtown. Mm. Uh, it's spelled out as all one word. Sometimes the W is capitalized, sometimes it's not. But so Way Downtown, all one word uh, from director Gary Burns. I think if I remember correctly, he's done like some doc work and some fiction film work. This is a fictional film. Um, also has Don McKellar in it. Uh, pretty I don't know how famous is the right word. Like I, I know him from just the art house days of like, he's also Canadian director. Oh yeah. Director. Yeah. Um, so he's pretty well known. And I almost picked one of his movies as an honorable mention. Cause he's done some really interesting. I don't know. He always felt like kind of like Canadian Hal Hartley to me. In a, yeah. In a way. yeah. No, you're um, right. Yeah. <laughs> so this one way downtown, he's an actor in it. So he's not, um, not behind the camera here. It's Gary Burns writing, co-writing and directing it. It's, so I guess this is the Calgary one. And so I guess what's going on in downtown Calgary for real, this is just a little background on it. There's a thing when I looked it up, it was called the plus 15 or the plus symbol, like plus 15. Oh, okay. Um, it's a Skyway network of pedestrian, like skywalk systems to connect buildings. So that's an awesome, your locations guy, that's an awesome visual. And yeah. so what Gary Burns did was, okay, let's do it. So it's kind of a, it's, it's a dark comedy, but it's also like a group of like 20 something friends who all work in downtown and they make a bet. Um, so culturally speaking about that, you know, like Office Space is a year before uh, Friends is a hit TV show. So it has that like kind of 20 something like out in the city being an adult kind of vibe. These aren't like immediately after college people, but they're like in their 20s, like we're downtown urbanites who live in a bustling, you know, urban center or whatever. And so they make a bet to not go outside 
period. Like just use these, the, the, yeah. the sidewalks because they can, they can uh, go to work. They can go out, they can go to restaurants, they can go grocery shopping, they can live their lives because everything is so connected. And so the bet is whoever can go the longest wins one month's salary. So like they are serious about this, <laughs> like there's some serious money there. But also what does that do to your, like one thing I really remember that really haunted me was the sound mix on this movie. There's like a low droning like hum of like um, HVAC unit. Mm. I don't know if it's through the whole thing, but it definitely heightens it because you kind of are watching it from the, you're kind of experiencing the movie from the point of view of the main character. Uh, I think his name's Tom. Um, although it is kind of an ensemble piece and he has this thing in his head about how he hasn't had fresh air in his lungs. It's all recirculated air. And so that becomes kind of like a tension point of like, can I just poke my head outside for a minute? I just like <laughs> fresh air. Um, and so like every once in a while when it really is overwhelming him, like you'll hear like the hum everywhere. And he's just like, really put you in the headspace of this character being like, I haven't been outside. I, I just want some fresh air. Um, so it's kind of interesting that it's, it is a dark comedy, um, it's a send up of like corporate culture, but also like one upsmanship amongst friends slash yeah. colleagues. And I remember just like I laughed a lot. Like it's a, one of those just pitch perfect dark comedies that I was like it hit really close to home as far as like at the time I was watching it in a downtown urban environment where I hadn't left and had fresh air myself in like, you know, nine hours because I was watching back to back to back court and going to watch more movies. And I was like, oh, this is really this is really hidden. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it, it, it ends up being um, kind of an interesting commentary. On, and it's also now just a time capsule of like late 90s, early 2000s, kind of downtown, like kind of an urban environment, but also like what is a city, but also what does it mean to be a city dweller? But also what does it mean to work in like an office? Because none of them like love their jobs in this one. They're just like, hey, I got a corporate gig, right. I got a whatever. <laughs> so, but also doesn't maybe paint the greatest picture of calgary <laughs> like it was like oh there's just like there's no nothing natural about any of this it's all just right like, off you know office spaces or whatever but yeah solid solid film though i, I haven't seen it in a while but i it really like left an impression on me when i saw it but yeah what else you got any other honorable mentions mike yeah so my other one is um from uh writer director sandor stern who is uh best known for probably best known for writing the amityville horror um oh, sure. but um he released a movie in 1988 called Pin. And Pin is based on a novel. It's kind of a disturbing film. Uh, but basically, uh, it it tells the story of a, a brother and sister who uh, live in a, you know, their father is played by Terry O'Quinn from Lost. Uh, and who, who also did The Stepfather. But um, he is this, uh, you know, he's a medical doctor, but is... You know, they basically him and his wife are probably some of the coldest parents that you could ever <laughs> imagine. <laughs> but what uh, the father uses to teach his children is this anatomical dummy named Pin. It looks very lifelike, okay, uh, but it's like an inside-out kind of dummy. And um, as um, as he grows up, he starts to the son start, you know, cause like the father is doing it through ventrilo ventriloquism with the dummy. Oh, okay. Um, and so the son, as he gets older, starts to think pin is real and also starts to do ventriloquism through the dummy. Now this movie, <laughs> it, that it makes it sound kind of dumb, but, uh, <laughs> but it's actually a very, um, creepy psychological film. Um, and it's 
it was marketed it was a direct to video movie in the United States, but is marketed as kind of a slasher, but it really is not. Um, you know, it's really just kind of this disturbing um film about like, you know, the effect of, you know, the father and the mother had on this on this on on him and his sister as well. Mm-hmm. The sister kind of becomes like, you know, she's kind of like we'll just say loosey goosey with the guys, you know. <laughs> Got it. Um so as um as the the boy gets older and older, older and like his mind's really starting to go, you know, he almost embodies this this dummy and uh it's uh I think it's a super effective movie. It's one of those movies that I I saw it once on the Sci-Fi channel back in the day and I when I finally found it on DVD, I think Anchor Bay put it out on DVD. Um you know, I watched it quite a few times i've actually got to interview the director when i used to write for this smaller website uh so i got to interview him about it i think uh there is from what i've read there's like a pretty strong fan base for this movie in the united kingdom uh but uh and it's it's like there's like lots of like special feature blu-rays that are have been released in the united kingdom but for whatever reason, it's never been put on Blu-ray in North America. So, uh, but uh, I highly suggest it if you ever get to check it out. It's a little gem, yeah, but it's very disturbing. <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound uh, bad when you were just describing it because, like, as soon as you're introducing the idea of like the doll and stuff, of like, I'm, I'm, I'm already creeped out like that. Yeah, <laughs> you said inside out, so like the org, like you can see the organs. Yeah, so it's like it's like a reddish, you know color uh it, it it's like um the one thing that i remember from the interview was that you know that was like it was a pretty low budget movie mm-hmm. and they got you know they got money from the canadian government to make it but i think he said that pin itself was like the most one of the most expensive things it was like they spent like sixty thousand dollars i think per dummy um so oh. because like there's certain times where the, where the dummy moves, you know, um, different things that, that it makes the viewer think that it is really alive. And it's, okay. it's just very fascinating to me. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like that would have a high creep factor for me. Cause that's, yeah. like, no, 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 I don't, I don't <laughs> do creepy dolls or creepy ventriloquism very well at all. So, <laughs> uh, so what movie did you end up picking? All right. So I kind of kept with my coming of age theme. Awesome. Um, which I guess Way Downtown wasn't quite coming of age, but it's, you know, folks kind of like learning their way to be, you know, sophisticated modern day urban knights uh, coming of age <laughs> in their 20s, I guess. So I and also because of like, I feel like with the Hong Kong action, some of our previous ones that I've been doing, I haven't really kept it very modern at all. So <laughs> I was I was trying to keep it as like, let's let's get a good vibe for like what's going on in modern Canadian filmmaking right now. And I guess modern is relative because I picked a movie from 2005, which I guess younger listeners would be like, that's not modern. That's when I was born um, or who knows. But so it's a film called Crazy, um, but it's when it's all capital letters with periods. So it's an acronym, C-R-A-Z-Y with periods in between all of them, which kind of fucked up some searching around to find the movie. I, I found it on Canopy and I found it on HBO, which or Max or whatever it's called now in a really weird version. So it's a French Canadian production. It is in French. Okay. I was I got about five minutes in on on HBO and I was like, "There's they're speaking Italian. Am I is this an Italian dub?" So I'm checking the subtitles and the audio. And I'm like, "It says Italian. This is not an Italian movie." So over on Canopy is where I I found the actual version of it. Au 
si loin que je me rappelle, j'ai toujours détesté Noël. Mais tu viens me dire que c'est que tu as fait. Les autres étaient pas de même. Il y en a pas un pareil. Ça qui est plus doux, c'est tout qui est plus sincère. Mes frères étaient pour moi trois abrutis. Um, I'll do the depressing part first. Uh, it's directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, mm. who uh, is known because he did one. He's one one of those directors who did come to uh, Hollywood, and he made Dallas Buyers Club, and he yep. made Wild with um, Reese Witherspoon. I didn't know he passed away. Yeah, I yeah, really was... missed that. He passed away on Christmas in 2021. At yeah, fifty-eight from uh, let's make some sort of a, a heart arrhythmia or something. Like that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so like, oh well, shit. Uh, most recently, he was known for uh, like sharp objects. I think he was working a lot with HBO and like episodic television. And I think he did Big Little Lies. Yes, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. But I, and I love that. So like, I I did watch Sharp Objects. I haven't watched that one, but I will go back and watch it. I like it when a director sticks through an entire series. Uh, mm-hmm. like there's a really good yeah. kind of altruistic through line in that. So anyway, crazy. Just to tie it back to Christmas Day, real quick. It really focuses on a father and son dynamic, but the son's name is Zach and he's born on Christmas 1959. It's also kind of a tough movie to do a quick pitch on because like the one sentence synopsis on IMDb or Letterboxd. So how big, how, how big does this sound? A story of two love affairs, a father's love for his five sons and one son's love for his father, a love so strong it compels him to live a lie. <laughs> like, I, okay, I mean, that's, Maybe, you know, intriguing, I guess, but it's also pretty vague. Yeah. Or on IMDb, a young French Canadian, one of five boys in a conservative family in the 60s and 70s, struggles to reconcile with his emerging identity and his father's values. I, I mean, you can put details into a one sentence description. <laughs> like they're just yeah. kind of not there. And that is at the core of it, but it also does sort of expand out like the mother's got a very significant role and he's one of five kids which is where crazy comes from and the periods it's the the first letters of each son's name okay he's the fourth son and they're in order like name wise so c-r-a-z-y so zach is z and then there's a younger sibling below him but also there's a central thing of the dad um is really into music and one of the first inciting incidents is zach accidentally breaks this patsy klein album vinyl album that his dad has and dad's like no it's a specific um album you can't just buy this anywhere i was lucky to find it and blah 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 and all this stuff but obviously one of her songs crazy um it gets used right. in the movie quite a bit <laughs> so i think what what valet does really kind of ingeniously here is there's a lot of just sort of like double meanings and kind of rides the line between like what is going on or what you think's going on and the the son clearly wants like the approval of of the dad yeah, and they and there's all these little moments sprinkled in throughout this plot over two hours where like you're as an audience member, you're like, oh, they're finally going to. And every time that's about to happen where they're finally going to, like, you know, agree on something or have a moment, something steps in and fucks it up. <laughs> so kind of like just sort of edges you along um, the the whole movie. And it slowly adds in these layers of like, you know, his one of his older brothers um, is dealing pot in the 60s, then ends up being like, you know, dealing coke and heroin and. Um, you know, using as well as we move, you know, into the late seventies and the eighties, it has a crazy stack soundtrack of like Pink Floyd, Rolling Stones, Bowie, The Cure, wow. like all the stuff. Because it's it, you know, starts in fifty nine when he's born. It's mostly from like mid sixties through the seventies, and the time shifts aren't really even labeled other than like cultural touch, touch points of like, yeah. oh, he's listening to that Bowie album. Oh, now they're listening to The Cure. Now they're you know, like so you're like, oh, okay. And obviously his hair and his his, his dress changes and. Um, at one point he is dating a woman and then, but he's also like, uh, you know, my dad's pretty conservative and he's like, I, I'm 
more attracted to like this guy over here. And, but I'm scared to explore that because my dad's, <laughs> you know, not like, um, he's not like a Travis Bickle maniac, but like, sure. he's clearly like running the house kind of, kind of guy. So I thought that was kind of an interesting one. And uh, to be honest, like 20, 30 minutes into it, actually, I think I was even texting you about 40 minutes into it when I was watching it. I was looking stuff up on my phone and I wasn't fully engaged with it because it felt very vignette. Like these yeah. were a lot of vignettes didn't quite have the connective tissue the way something like Boogie Nights, same time period. Yeah. Vastly different subject matter, but, uh, you know, good use of music kind of grows into an ensemble piece that just felt more connected than this did. It felt more vignettes. And then at a certain point, probably about an hour in, I was like, I, I was fully engaged. I was fully hooked. And I was like, I care about all these characters. I want yeah. this to work out. So it kind of slowly creeped up on me. So that, that was kind of interesting about it. But the fascinating Canadian aspect I thought was it got me looking up all this stuff about Canadian history. Cause it, it didn't cut to like news footage of a prime minister or, or, or a local mayor or somebody like talking about stuff to, to anchor it in, in like Canadian um, culture or politics or anything. Yeah. But in the background, there was all this stuff where I was like, wait, what is, what is that poster back there? Like, you know, this is, this is a, a movie. It's a set. Like the, the, all the stuff is there for a reason. So Again, I was watching it. It's in French. So I, I had subtitles on, but it even mentioned like on the radio in the car, like they're talking about at one point the uh, the quiet revolution or whatever. I'm like, well, what the hell is that? <laughs> so it's very feels very I think Valet working with a screenwriter did a really good job of like just steeping it in what felt very like this is fully immersive Canadian. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't explaining it to an American audience. It was like, if you're here, you know this stuff. Right. Kind of thing. Um, so some of the stuff I was looking up, like the quiet revolution, or there was like this thing called the October crisis or, um, the poster was a party Quebecois, which I guess was like a political, I, I, I'm, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I just, I, you know, I was Googling it and I was reading Wikipedia shit as I was watching it and it really kind of fascinated me, but what it did infuse into the film that I got out of it was like, oh, this is one of those things where it's dealing with a cultural shift the yeah. way that, like if you were of a certain age and you were a parent and your kids started bringing home these new records and were playing this Beatles group. And you're like, that's not music. You know, get a haircut hip, like that kind of stuff. That's what you were seeing um, all playing out in Quebec where this is all, where this one's all set. So it was like, Oh, it's kind of interesting to see. I'm screaming out David Bowie in my room and my dad's pissed. Cause I'm listening to that English music. Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it's not overt necessarily in the movie, but like you see it, play out in their dynamics without it being the actual text if that makes sense interesting so like yeah it's yeah. a generational shift there but it does it does yes it does focus on the father-son dynamic and i and i think it's it, it earns its vaguely heartwarming conclusion <laughs> <laughs> but it also like just slowly kind of spreads out so you see the ripple effects of how the fa all the family dynamic plays like i don't think it's a full ensemble piece because of the tight focus on the father-son but you do see some like kind of ancillary characters uh, from within the family and from outside the family and how they have an effect on everybody's lives as well. Otherwise it would have been like, you know, once upon a time in Canada and it's three hours long or, or whatever <laughs> all these characters, but pretty solid. And then I, I was reading it, it never really got a, um, aside from a film festival release stateside here for anybody. Um, and that's when I read that when he'd passed away, like it finally got like some, some traction and some play. Yeah. And it's not his, his first feature film. Um, it's the one he did right before he did like um, Young Victoria and then Dallas Buyers Club and then came to the States. So I I, I believe this is maybe like one of his last Canadian features Canadian. before, yeah. yeah, heading stateside. But No, that, that does seem to be a trend among some Canadian filmmakers where it's like, you know, once they get a certain thing, it's like they're American bound. But 
I mean, I guess that's why I give uh, maybe Cronenberg uh, yeah. so much credit for being just fully immersed in right. Canadian, like ride or die Canadian. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it even, even though he he does work with American companies, but or American financing, yeah. I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's even sort of like what we mentioned on the Hong Kong action stuff, where like John Woo and Sue Hark and those like they were making great Hong Kong action stuff. Then they came to America. A lot of them made Van Damme movies, as we mentioned. Right, right. Then we're like, fuck this, or whatever their attitude was. We're like, yeah, returned back home and are cranking out the movies. So, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a pull because, you know, Hollywood is Hollywood, I guess. Right. Well, what, what is your pick for uh, Canadian films here, Mike? So, you know, like I said, uh, I mentioned uh, how much I enjoyed The Sweet Hereafter. And uh, this is one of uh, Adam McGoyan's film that I have not watched. Um, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, it's called Exotica. It's from 1994. He comes in here every other night. He has his favorite drink. At his favorite table. With his favorite dancer. In a place of seduction, in a world of temptation, she really seems to be herself with you. A game is being played. Well, how do you know? She used to be her lover. And a trap is being set. You're out of here, man! I was set up. Now, a life is on the line. I'm not gonna help you kill somebody. And one woman holds the key. It's going too far. You have no idea how far it's gone. At the time, it was released in America um, with Miramax. And um, I, I actually, uh, on the Criterion channel where I watched this, there was, there's a pretty pretty cool interview with Adam McGoyan and Sarah Polly talking about this movie uh, where... Um, he said an unnamed executive uh, gave him certain notes. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's I'm a mystery. Sure. Yes. Uh, Harvey uh, probably yeah. had some notes. Uh, but anyway, uh, this one is, it's actually, I think, you know, first having seen Sweet Hereafter, I have seen some of his other, like, later works. Uh, there was a movie called Chloe um, that oh, yeah. uh, was in the art houses with, uh, Julianne Moore and um, it, you know, Liam Neeson. It was kind of like a, uh, it was like a, almost like an Adrian Lynn movie, kind of trashy. Um, yes, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Exotica, you know, with a a title like this and the fact that it takes it mostly takes place at a strip club, mm -hmm. uh, for something to have that kind of title, it's actually kind of a somber movie as well, just like The Sweet Hereafter. Mm -hmm. um, because it follows a man um, who frequents a, a, a high-end strip club. Um, and, you know, we slowly start to learn that um, his wife and daughter were killed in a car crash. And he specifically visits one, this place for, for one dancer. Um, you know, she's a, a younger woman who dresses in this like school uniform. And all the while, there's a DJ there who's played by Elias uh, Elias Cotez, who has been in quite a few things. You know, speaking of, uh, I know we were talking about Ninja Turtles before. Oh, Casey we, Jones, you know, yeah, yeah, he's Casey Jones, and <laughs> I think actually one of my favorite roles of of his is like he plays this like kind of skinhead in um, 
some kind of wonderful the uh <laughs> the, oh, yeah. the late 80s uh well i wouldn't call him a skin it but it, he just you know he has like <laughs> yeah, he's, very he's close there well but, so, uh, um speaking of cronenberg crash the right the, exactly. the crash movie that yes <laughs> the paul haggis one right um but but yeah he you know he plays this dj who um has uh, impregnated the owner of the strip club but is also infatuated with this dancer okay. so there there ten there is kind of a there's a tension between uh him and bruce greenwood who was also yeah. here after so it's like basic adam mcgoin works with a lot of the same actors yeah um also sarah polly is in this movie uh she plays uh the niece of bruce greenwood and he basically um pays her to play piano at his house while he goes and visits the strip club so this movie is um it's kind of told out of order you know there's sometimes there it's playing with the timelines and there are some scenes that that just kind of don't really you know i feel like i i will eventually watch it again but uh it it seems like one of those movies that maybe down the line might be destined to be um recut in in proper order or something you know oh oh gotcha yeah but 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 basically it's it's kind of like about all of these different connections that the people have and it it is a once you know as i said you know kind of a somber movie Mm -hmm. but also it's a perfect i think um encapsulation of these kind of Canadian darker films that I'm attracted to. Um, you only did dark, I think on this particular. Episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm a mostly positive person, but sometimes give me these, give me these dark ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, um, it seems to me like a Goyan is, is attracted to these kind of stories that are, kind of like are very writer driven, you know, like he's not super flashy with his, with his camera work and he really kind of lets the actors just go at it. And, um, and that's why I think, um, you know, I, I know he was, he he did get a best director nomination for um, sweet hereafter and really his movies haven't in the last, you know, 10, 20 years or whatever, haven't really broken too much, down here i mean they still get released but they barely you know <laughs> yeah yeah but um but I, I do feel he is a a great talent and uh I, I wish he was more known here honestly i remember as a as a young man when sweet her after came out and i saw that and i was like well i gotta see what else this guy did and i was like oh he did a, a movie set in a strip club <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was definitely like a vhs rental and i i remember uh, seeing it then at that point, you know, just a horny teenager, you know, like this is not what I saw. I basically wanted showgirls. It just wasn't a movie yet that I had access to. I oh, yeah. Yeah. And no, then it, I remember it, watching it years later uh, and I was like, oh, shit, this movie is really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really should have paid really, attention when I was a kid. You're right. It's like it the the marketing and everything makes it look like that, like it's going to be this like super sexy movie, but it's, yeah. it's really not. Um, right. And like I said, I highly suggest if if any of our listeners are you know end up watching this movie, do watch the the um the interview that Sarah Polly and him do. I think it was recorded just like a couple months ago, so it's like oh, wow. pretty fresh. Yeah, and um you know she, she, I mean she's 
just seems like she's a brilliant person. And so like having yeah. two of these brilliant people together yeah. talking, like sometimes I'm just like, as I was watching, I was like, wow, like I, I'm just not as intelligent as these two <laughs> discussing this film. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm really glad that I, I did get to check this one off the, uh, the box. Nice. Yeah. And also just to note real quick, another, Don McKellar performance. He pops Absolutely. Up yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I have even forgot about his subplot. Like he plays this, uh, he's basically smuggling these, these eggs or like bird eggs, like in, um, from, he's also like a closeted gay man. And, um, so he, yeah, he, he kind of gets entangled in, in the, uh, um, the three-way love of triangle, uh, for yeah. the, the strippers of attention. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a very interesting movie. I don't want to give everything away, but uh, a lot of layers to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And a lot of layers, a lot of surprises in there. So our official watch challenge picks for Canadian films are crazy from 2005 and exotica from 1994. Aaron, what challenge do we have in front of us for next time? Our next challenge is going to be, I think it's actually near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, we'll get into <laughs> that on the next episode. Uh, is going to be radio station films. Uh, I can't think of a clever title other than that. Like it's films <laughs> that are set in and around radio stations. Um, if you're thinking to yourself, that's pretty niche. There's got to be like four of them. No, there's actually a whole lot. And I thought I had seen a whole lot and I found a whole <laughs> bunch more that I need to watch. So we will jump into that on our next episode where we're taking a look at radio station set films. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one. If you'd like to suggest a topic or genre that you like covering on a future show, please send us an email at watchchallengepodcast at gmail.com or in the links in the show notes. Until next time, folks, rate and review the show in whatever podcast app you are currently listening to us in, and we will see you with the next challenge. Bye.